Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is New York Times bestselling author Kristen Arnett. She is the author of Mostly Dead Things in the award-winning collection Felt in the Jaw. Her new book is With Teeth, which is published by our friends at Riverhead Books. Kristen, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And Kristen, before we talk about your book, I want to ask you a couple of questions I've been asking many authors over the past year and change, but this question is starting to feel a little different uh, as it feels like we may be getting to the other side of this thing, I hope. And that question is, how have you been doing this past year and how are you approaching the marketing of this book in these strange times versus books that you have written in the past? Right. Um, well, I think probably I can say like many people probably have. It's been uh, a very uh, weird year, a different year, uh, very hard in some kind of ways mm. uh, and, and and nice in other ways. And that's like a, a very strange thing to say. But like I like at the beginning of the pandemic, I had just moved in with my girlfriend, like mm. long term. And so. I was like, okay, we're going to live together. And now I was like, oh, now we're going to live together. <laughs> like, you better actually really like me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it's been, it's been a strange thing to think about. First of all, like the production of work in this time, because I think our brains are all working really differently. Um, there's just something so different about not being physically around people, hearing people speak. Um, just getting like the energy, I think, um, you know, I'm a person who's definitely an extrovert. Mm. So it's been like something I think that I bring to my work that I didn't realize maybe previously. Um, which um, when, when I think about the marketing of this book coming up, it's, it's been primarily, you know, an online kind of thing, uh, thinking about how to do events, thinking about like readings, um, even attending other people's events and things. It's just been a, a different kind of thing, right? Like when the event is over, you know, instead of how it usually goes where it's like, okay, we're done now let's go out to a bar together or we're going to like decompress and have a drink right now and talk about it. Or just like hugging a friend or like signing a book and interacting with someone. It's like you close the computer screen and you just kind of sit there and look at it and you're like, where did all my friends go? I guess I'll drink this wine alone uh, kind of thing. But uh, I think a way that I've been trying to think about combating it is um, kind of building in like little fun things for myself, like making sure that there's like moments where I get to like actually enjoy the process with people. And that's been fun because I've been loving going to people's, um, other people's online events. It's been so nice, like places where I normally wouldn't get to see people read. I'm like, wow, I get to be part of this. So that's exciting. I don't know if that was like a roundabout way to answer that question. No, that was a perfect answer. And hopefully the, uh, the moving in situation has gone well. Yeah, that's um, quite uh, the timing there on that. Well, thank you very much, Kristen. Um, let's talk about this novel with teeth. Now, this book opens with a scene that features a possible attempted but failed child abduction. Uh, can you describe this scene for our listeners and tell us what it highlights about two of our main characters straight away? Yes. Um, this is a scene that I think um, 
many parents would recognize, which is uh, just being like at a park with your child in the middle of the day, like just a random, any kind of day. This book takes place in Florida because I'm a Florida writer and I write prolifically about Florida, but it's, um, involves uh, the main character, Sammy and her son, Samson. And it's just any kind of day that they would have going to the park together. And he is nearly taken by a, a man who just decides to go off with him. And I think that the opening scene, especially because it's such a, it's such a quick, like, active scene like it's it's happening in in the moment in scene that you get to see a lot about who she is as a mother but then also how Samson reacts to her as her son and I think that tells us a lot about those two in a very quick amount of time which maybe um I think that tells us a lot about ourselves and other people when we're in emergency situations we learn a lot about um who we are and who other people are when we're in moments of crisis I think yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And I want to highlight Sammy's feeling of helplessness here in this scene. Do you think this is something that a lot of parents feel? Is Sammy alone with this feeling? I think that anybody who is in charge of another life probably has, I mean, intense moments of feelings of helplessness because there's only so much you can do to protect someone who's not like, you know, with you 24 seven, even if they are with you 24 seven, they're not you, like they're their own body, they're their own person, they contain their own personhood. So I think that there would have to be this feeling of intense stress and anxiety um, and helplessness. Um, it's hard enough to take care of ourselves as singular people. So the idea of like caring for another life and making sure that nothing um, bad or hurtful happens to it would be a feeling of intense loss of control, maybe. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And another part of this scene, Kristen, involves ants crawling up Sammy's legs. Um, this is sort of a recurring uh, image in this novel, ants crawling up Sammy's legs specifically. What does this recurring image, this theme of ants, signify? What does it tell us about our protagonist, Sammy? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing it tells you is that she's definitely in Florida. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's a, it's a very, it feels like a very central Florida thing to be standing on an ant pile and not realizing you're standing on an ant pile. <laughs> um, but I think, uh, number one, what it tells us a lot about Sammy is that she can be really oblivious mm -hmm. to things. Um, she thinks she knows, she thinks she's observant, she thinks she's a certain kind of way and quite often she's none of those things or she's not paying attention to the thing that's actually happening right in front of her and instead focusing on whatever is like more important in her own mind. Um, and I think like not realizing you're standing on an ampile is probably a very good example of that, right? Like not realizing you're in the middle of something that's going to hurt you until it's like too late and it's already happening. Yeah, do you think that, um, you know, in the past, decade or two, like mobile phones and smartphones are causing people to pay less attention to their immediate surroundings in general? I mean, I won't like discount it for sure. Right. I mean, there's a reason why there's like signs up that say like, don't text and drive. Mm -hmm. It's like the equivalent. I, I can't like name the actual, um, article that I read, but I know there was like one a while ago where it was like equating like the, 
like your attention span when you're texting and driving is like equivalent to like how maybe someone who's impaired by alcohol um, mm -hmm. is driving a car. So that if it's taking away your level of like um, a focus and concentration in that kind of way, I think we could definitely apply it to like, you know, if you're on, I mean, social media is a time suck. I can't tell you how many times I've been on Twitter and I'm like, what time is it now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh God. Like I was like, oh, I was supposed to do like, 30 different things. And at one point it was 11 AM and now it's 2 PM in the afternoon. And where did that time go? It's just like gone into the portal as Trisha Lockwood would say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I think it's a distinct possibility that it divides our attention in certain ways. But I do think as human beings, like we are constantly looking for things to divide our attention. So if it wasn't a phone, then what else would it be? Probably something else. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Thank you, Kristen. Um, Moving on, Sammy experiences a bit of othering in this novel, whether it is something that people feel about her or whether it is something that she imagines other people are feeling about her um, because she is in a same-sex marriage or because her son is so much better at swimming than other children, for example. Um, is this something that Sammy is experiencing because others are making her to feel this way or are these feelings all self-inflicted? I think it would have to be a combination of those things. Like, as I was saying before, I think Sammy has like a level of self-involvement where she, she has definite ideas about why things are the way that they are. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, I think all the time um, that everybody in a household is an unreliable narrator. Mm -hmm. uh, I think like how, you know, some one person in a family views something isn't necessarily how another person who was in the same situation would view it, even though it's the same set of circumstances. So I think that there's like a bit of that in there, maybe not even a bit, maybe a lot in there for Sammy. But one of the other things that I do think is, is very likely a, a real thing um, is, is the idea of being like a queer mom and feeling like this kind of othering, especially if you don't feel like you have a community there or that like your queerness, uh, like it's like a double-sided coin, right? This idea about being like, it's like you're already getting a lot of flack for being queer. And then this idea of like raising a child and then you have like all eyes on you and then you have to make sure that you don't screw it up, right? Because you're like, you have to be a perfect example of this kind of thing. So I would, I would imagine it would be something where you would feel very, very othered to be looked at. Um, as like, not only like, well, you have to be a representative of it, but we're already expecting you to fail <laughs> at this thing. So, and I think this was a divide too in queer communities. Like I can't speak for every queer community, but as speaking as a, a person who's from central Florida and has lived in central Florida my whole life as a lesbian, mm -hmm. there is like this kind of strange divide when it comes to like, being like queer and an out person then oh okay now I'm a parent and I'm a queer person and those two things don't necessarily like look the same and like who your friend group would be would maybe change and shift and there's maybe not stuff available for you like yeah you know um I was talking to um an editor before this book was published like when this book was still in its germination stage mm -hmm. and they were like well why wouldn't you know Sammy just you know go to her lesbian like mommy group and I was like there's not like a bunch of those I'm like this is a Brooklyn it's not like the same kind of thing right like like regionally and like in different areas and places like the queer communities are either smaller or different or they just don't function the same kind of ways um and a lot of times in 
in Central Florida, I have felt like there's not these kind of spaces. There's already such limited spaces. Like we have such a thriving like gay community in Orlando and so few actually queer defined spaces. Like I, as far as I know, there's like three like main queer bars even in Orlando proper. Um, and you know, Pulse is no longer one of those places. Mm. Um, that me, and there's like so many queer people yet so few like few defined queer spaces that there's just like, to feel like you don't have a community would be like wildly alienating and it's very othering. So to be like a queer mom would be like doubly othering maybe. Absolutely, thank you so much uh, for that answer. Definitely different um, groups available depending on geography. Um, before we go into our break, um, because you're in Orlando and we are talking about children, um, Disney World being open right now, um, yay or nay? Nay, <laughs> yeah. don't do that. I mean, I, I think everybody who's in Central Florida like understood that it was going to open. Like it was so strange to me, a person who's like from Orlando and has lived in Orlando my whole life, that they even closed at all. I was like, this is the equivalent. You know, like when people say like, you can tell like a natural disaster or catastrophe if a Waffle House is closed. It's like right. that with Disney, like mm -hmm. Disney does not close. So the fact that they closed their, like the parks was so shocking to me as a central Floridian. Um, but it is um, one of those things where it's like, you know how it is. There's only so many precautions that people can take. And also you're only as safe as the other people around you are choosing to be. So yes. if you're in these situations where people decide to come to the park and maybe they're sick, but they planned it and their kids wanna go, even if you're double masked up or something like that, it's still not safe. So ideally in an ideal situation, in an ideal world, wouldn't it be great if they'd waited to reopen the park until everyone had been vaccinated, but I don't control Disney. I know there's probably that rumor out there that says that I do, but I do not, sadly. <laughs> right. Thank you, Kristen. Kristen Arnett, listeners, does not control Disney. Um, listeners, we are going to take a break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Kristen Arnett. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Kristen Arnett, author of With Teeth, which is published by our friends at Riverhead Books. Kristen, one aspect of parenting that I would like to ask about, there is a quote in the novel that reads as follows. That was one thing about having a kid. All the stuff you thought you'd never have to think about, math, art, PE clothes that smell like dead feet, all came rushing back like nostalgic reruns, end quote. And Kristen, I thought this was a very interesting quote, uh, and I have a two-part question about it. One, what does this quote tell us about parenting and life in general? And two, 
What does it reveal to us about our protagonist? I ask the second part because PE clothes that smell like dead feet. Sure. Something I probably never thought I would think about again, but math and art. (laughs) These are very good questions. Um, I think it, um, it's an, it's an interesting thing to think about, um, what it means to like, once you leave like a certain part of your life, like childhood or like, or if we're thinking in the, in the, in the scope of like school or like, you know, like education, there's these certain things that I feel like people are like, once we get done with them, um, I will I guess I can only speak for myself, but like once they, once they are done, it's like done, like, okay, well, I ever need to know this thing about like, from college algebra again, or like some kind of thing from like, right, like from trigonometry, do I need to remember like, or what, like what is sine and cosine? The only way I'm able to tell you that right now, P.S., is because I've been doing a lot of crossword puzzles uh, and they use this answers a lot. So I was like, this is like a very interesting way to remember mathematics. But I think it is one of those things where it's like, um, right, like it's, it, your brain like decides to boot certain stuff, right? Like I'm going to remember all of the factoids about um, the cast members of the facts of life. I read on Wikipedia and I'm going to choose to eject, um, you know, these things about high school algebra. Uh, But I I do think for one of those things for Sammy, it tells us a lot about her because I think like it reverts back to those things I was saying earlier, like she kind of picks and chooses which things. That, that have meaning or important to her. And for herself, I get, think she never thought those things would be something that she would ever have to worry about again. You know, like, does my job involve math grade? I guess I'll get a calculator out like any number of other people do. Like, oh, like that's, it's like, I think a very humbling thing to be like, to feel like you're a very smart, capable adult, like someone who like, you know, has maybe been a manager or has like some kind of like savvy in business or has like reached this point where you're like, you know, like my life is like doing really well and I feel good about myself. And then maybe your child brings home a a sheet where you have to do fractions and you can't remember how to do fractions. I think it's this maybe kind of humbling thing. And I don't think Sammy ever, as a character, I don't think that she ever cares to have that feeling of being humbled, have that feeling of being lesser than how she views herself. So it would be like quite an experience to be like, okay, now I'm going to have to do this and I'm going to work on an art project with my child. And it turns out I'm really not good at art and I don't like being confronted with the fact that I'm not good at it. And I'm going to take my frustrations about the fact that I am ill-equipped to handle this, maybe out a little bit on my kid, even though it's really not their fault that this project is here. Right. Thank you, Kristen. And now I'm going to have the uh, theme song to the facts of life running through my head for the rest of the day. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Samson, the child in this story, uh, has been labeled as a problem child. Everyone says that Samson, who is in the fourth grade uh, at the beginning of this novel, is only a problem because he chooses to be. Is this a fair judgment to pass on a fourth grader, fourth graders are what, nine years old? No, I don't think that that's a fair assessment to pass on to a fourth grader. Um, As someone who worked like children's story time at the library for like nine years, we all understand that like, that's not like kid's fault. Mm -hmm. That's not like anything that has to do with a kid. No, no child is like choosing to be like a problem. I think that that tells us again, like a lot more about 
Sammy and how she views motherhood is like a problem that needs to be corrected. And if she feels that she's doing the work the right way, then the, obviously the problem isn't her. So that it has to be, the problem has to be whoever she's in having the issue with. And so for her, I think quite often she sees the fact that her son doesn't behave the way she wants to as a problem that he is having and not some kind of communications issue or problem on her end about dealing with parenthood. Um, but definitely no, like that's not a fair thing to put on a fourth grader. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Thank you, Kristen. Uh, one thing early on in this novel that sort of pisses Sammy off is when Samson's teacher lets him start going by Tommy, which is his middle name. Uh, why does this make Sammy so mad? Um, and as a sort of second part of this question, um, when do you think a child's agency over themselves begins? Well, I think um, a child's agency over themselves, I mean, should be given more freedom earlier on. Um, there's these ways in which um, kids are so micromanaged, right? And part of that is like, okay, well, like bringing it back to like the question about like Sammy and her anger over the teacher is she feels like a lack of control, I believe, over a lot of situations in her life. And one of the things she feels like should be under her control and under her purview is her own son. So this idea that somebody else would come in and make decisions about his life and what he's going to um, move forward as, like be seen as in his own life would be like extremely frustrating to someone like her. Um, I think that it's one of those things where it's a small freedom to be able to call yourself the thing that you want to be named. Um, and it's, it's something that would take so little to be like, you know, this is like a name that resonates with you. This is how you see yourself, how you view yourself. Cause kids are growing then and forming opinions about themselves and understanding themselves. And they have um, kids know, you know, who, who, what they feel. So I'm sure that kids don't have like fully fleshed out formed opinions about like who they integrally are as a person, but we all have ideas about who we are and who we want to become and how we see ourselves even from a very young age. So I don't know. That's like one of those things where it's like, and again, every household is different. So like, you know, in, in Sammy's household, the name feels too important to her to like, let it go. And that she doesn't, maybe it's the name, it's I think part, but maybe it's just not liking like another woman making a decision for her. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you, Kristen. And my four-year-old, soon-to-be five-year-old son, Van, did inform me this last weekend that his name is now Superman Van. Um, so, <laughs> I support it. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. Um, switching gears for a moment, there is a scene in this novel when Sammy sees one of her favorite bands show up in an insurance commercial. And she thinks, I guess that's how you know when you're really getting old, when your favorite songs are selling you life insurance. Can you, Kristen, think of a moment outside of your novel in your life when this has happened? Or can you imagine an instance of this that might horrify you? Actually, yes, <laughs> I can remember, remember a specific moment that this occurred in my life. Um, I remember like laying in bed watching um, TV like late one night and a commercial came on. It was not for like life insurance. I can't remember what it was for, but I was like, is this Smashing Pumpkins? Mm. 
And then I like, I was like, is this for a commercial for something? I think it was like Smashing Pumpkins today. And I was like, holy shit. Sorry. But I was like, this is like really it messed with my mind in that moment because I was like, I had this like feeling of duality inside of my brain where I was like, it didn't make me feel like, oh, you're an adult now. I was like, it made me feel like, wow. Like the people who were like really listening to this song in that moment are now listening to the song in this completely different kind of context. And you have to know that like marketing agencies are like, well, this is the age group we're marketing it towards. So we're going to put like a song in that would appeal to them that they like, grew up listening to. Um, that was like one of my first CDs I ever owned was like mm -hmm. that Smashing Pumpkin CD. And like today was like one of my favorite songs on it. I was like middle school. I was like listening to it on my disc man. I was like, wow, I really feel this because I'm like young and I get, don't have any freedom. And I'm like, really like listening to this music makes me feel like free. And like, I'm away from my like evangelical family. And I'm like, discovering who I am as a young queer person. And then like listening to it as an adult, I'm like, oh God, it's just like trying to sell me something, which felt like very, I mean, I guess it's like trying to sell you something as a young person too, but this idea of freedom and youth. And as an adult, it's just trying to sell you maybe, I don't know, like health insurance. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I remember um, a few years ago hearing Wilco on a Volkswagen commercial, which wasn't too surprising, especially for like kind of a, a newer album since artists don't make a lot of money selling albums nowadays. But for older groups you know i can imagine i would be mildly terrified if like radiohead were suddenly selling me geico or if nirvana were selling me greek yogurt or something yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah um well thank you Kristen. uh finally we have been talking a lot about the dynamics between sammy and samson but we haven't talked about Sammy's marriage uh, with Monica. What is the dynamic of this relationship and how does this relationship and its dynamics affect Samson? Yeah, I think this is one of those things that I was very eager to explore um, as a queer woman who's been in like, um, like long-term relationships with women. Um, it's one of those things where I was like, where the, the relationship has merged into something else. And sometimes when a relationship merges into like friendship territory or we feel like family, and in some cases, those relationships end up merging into like extremely toxic situations, like where things are not healthy, but because people feel so committed to like what they have created with each other, or in this instance with Sammy and Monica, they have created a family and they had this idea about how they wanted people to see it. And this, the thing I mentioned previously about being like, we have to do a good job with this. We have to make it look nice because if we don't, then we failed, not just for us, but for everyone else around us. It just shows that, that we can't do it. And that means like other people can't do it either. Like we open the door and now we're going to slam it shut. So and I think it's also very easy for people to fall into the sense of complacency. Like in this particular book, they have reached a point in their relationship. They've been together so long. The stuff that like starts out as like things that are wrong or a little toxic or not good become the, the daily normal for them. So when something becomes like a habit and a pattern and a daily like routine and a normal thing that you incorporate into the relationship, once it gets to like, 
really horrible levels, it's hard to see down all the layers that you've built to like get to that place. Like how did we get uh, way up here at this like very bad place? And really it's these like little sections of like microaggressions or like active aggressions or things you've just decided to gloss over or like not deal with. And the you know, because you want to keep the relationship whole as is, you know, like, oh, we built a family, we need to deal with this, but then not dealing with it, right? So these are people who have like an extremely toxic relationship with one another, but are unable for some reason to really let go. Um, that's, that's something I've seen in a lot of like queer relationships is people who definitely shouldn't be together anymore. But there's this feeling of like, well, we've, but we've been together so long, or we built the, like the life that we have, or it's going to be too difficult to like, divvy up our stuff or how will we divide our friend group or something like that. I mean, that probably is something that happens in heterosexual relationships too. But with, like this is the added bonus of having a child involved is like, well, we need to make it work for this kid. But in reality, they're not making it work for this kid at all. And they're being like effectively traumatized by the kind of toxic parenting that they're seeing going on in the household. He's uh, Samson in the book. I think quite often uh, Sammy and Monica feel like he doesn't see the things he sees or that he's not witnessing the things just because they don't want him to see it. Or they're like, they think that they're acting in a way that he's not going to be affected by it. But in reality, of course, children are affected by what happens in a household. Even if things aren't spoken in front of them, they can feel energy or feel like they, when things are bad and they, and kids witness things all the time. Right. Then they're like little sponges that like soak up everything around them. So this like toxic relationship built on these little things, like, would inevitably um, impact um, Samson and his psyche and, and maybe even like problems with, with him and his behavior, like what's, what's going on in his mind. Um, but again, mm, parenting is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kristen, for that answer. And thank you for writing this wonderful book. Listeners, I've been speaking with Kristen Arnett, author of With Teeth, which is published by our friends at Riverhead Books. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Once again, I have been speaking with Kristen Arnett, author of With Teeth. Copies of With Teeth can be ordered from www.quailridgebooks.com. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space, to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.